This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by our Device Talks Tuesday Speaker Series. Join us on Thursday. Device Talks Tuesday is going to be on Thursday this week. Our friends at Resonetics will be putting together an excellent presentation. Go to devicetalks.com for more information. All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salami. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great having you here. In the name of full disclosure, I want to let you know that this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast has been uh, altered slightly from the first one that went out. Uh, this one features an interview with a really fascinating person. Her name is Corolla Aguilar. She is the co-founder and CEO of InBrain Neuroelectronics. And uh, she's going to talk about, uh, about her career and about InBrain, which is a, a very cool company, some, one that I wanted to learn more about. So I'm really grateful that I have this podcast to, uh, to ask questions of interesting people. We also talked about uh, InBrain's recent partnership that it announced. It's working with Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany. So uh, when she's referencing the collaboration during our interview, that's what she's talking about. A, uh, a partnership with uh, Merck KGA Darmstadt Germany. So uh, that's it. Now let's bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, sir. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Chris. We just did our jumping jacks to try to get some that's energy. Right. We're trying to get some energy Woo. up. Woohoo! Woohoo! Here we go. Speaking of energy, my uh, my oldest son. He got his first job. He's working in a restaurant washing dishes. Oh, uh, man. Started this week, which is kind of cool. It's kind of one of those. It's funny. We came upon a video of him learning to ride a bike. This was on Facebook this week. And like this, this experience feels very much like that. You're kind of like watching him like kind of forge ahead in life. You're like, oh, don't dip over. But it, but it got me thinking, Chris, what was your first job? Oh, my first job. Yo. Were you were you executive editor of life sciences back in high school? Was that? The, no. You no? know what? Uh, it. I I, uh, I I slung burgers at Mickey D's. Really? Like, yes. Wow. You Which for- you know, for a high school student, was was pretty good because you got all the the free Mickey D's you, you want. You know, <laughs> so that wasn't bad. That was a pretty good lunch break. You know, yeah, so, uh, for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good. Good start. It I, obviously worked out for you. It worked. It worked out like. <laughs> moved on to much better, bigger, better things. But hey, you know, it's it's a start, you know, like yeah, McDonald's. There you go. I eventually made it to register, you know, like. Uh, so, so, see, I thought you'd have to, saw my- I would think you'd have to work your way to cooking, but you actually, you have to work your way to register. Register is the higher tier. Um, at least when I was there in the <laughs> 1990s, yes. <laughs> you kind of wonder about that. You know, I, I think it's more like they'd, they'd rather you were in the back you know, like toasting buns and grilling burgers. You know, they want to make sure that you're uh, you're you're acceptable for communicating with others. I guess that's a fair point. That's and then the, point. eventually, you could you know work drive through or the register. So that's a fair point. Good times. Good times, Good times. for sure. Yeah. What about you, man? What was your first? Oh my! Well, I I worked uh, at uh, Terminal A at the airport. Wow. Uh, which was uh, Eastern Airline. I think it was Eastern at the time or oh, Eastern might have just died, but I they worked went bankrupt. Yeah, they were one of those did. airlines. I didn't work that... for the airline. I worked for the uh, 
for the Marriott host, the, uh, the food service place there. So I, I cooked in the employee cafeteria. I bus tables, empty trash, wow. utility, utility, they called us, which was basically, yeah. you know, whatever you had to do. Yeah. Remove the sticky traps with the mice on it. All the, all the fun stuff back then. Oh, I had a job when, when <laughs> in college like that at one point. I was uh, I, like uh, like my uh, my hometown has a clothing dryer factory, and I was uh, picking up trash on the on the factory floor. So that was that was uh, <laughs> that was fun. All the soda cans, everybody like drinking soda while they were shooting screws into dryers. That was, wow, that was a good time. This, is, this sounds yeah. like a Tom Cruise all the right moves kind of feel to it. Like <laughs> Chris working in the in the local factory. <laughs> <laughs> tell you, we are. It sounds like we got good hard work and roots, Tom. We yeah, good, no, yeah, and it's, right. <laughs> just to bring it back and then we'll get it to the uh, New Marcus Newsmakers. But sort of my son came home and I'm like, how was it? And he just had like, a little smile on his face. So I do. It's awesome. You do remember those moments like when, you know, it was work, but you kind of, you know, you made friends, you kind of made your way in yeah. life. It's, it's really cool cool time of your life so that is so awesome it's like yeah. congrats congrats that's really cool i mean i'm excited and, and, for him yeah and he gets to get a paycheck it's always nice to get that paycheck you know? always so, nice to get a paycheck for sure that's right all right well we better earn our paycheck Christine yes Marker. that's that's we're here to here talk we about oh yeah this whole work thing we better go and do this work thing now, so. i know but what is our new markers newsmakers list chris let's stop let's excuse me let's start at number five number five on the list we've got Ancora Heart raising $80 million for their uh, ventricular restoration system. And uh, this is, uh, they, they have their uh, AccuSense, uh, you know, ventricular restoration system. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're uh, going to be earmarking this uh, $80 million toward, uh, toward acceleration of their, uh, you know, uh, pivotal clinical study for the, for the system, for the uh, system. Sorry. So blah, 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 blah. And uh, there <laughs> it's, uh, you know, this uh, it treats uh, symptomatic heart failure uh, with, uh, you know, reduced uh, ejection uh, fractions. So, yeah. yeah. So, so there we go. Some money. They're going to be uh, moving forward with uh, doing a clinical study of it. Interesting. I, yeah. I, I, I had a question from an entrepreneur in Germany. They have a, a, a heart assist device company and they're looking for funds and asking if they knew if I knew of investors and reached out to one VC and I was told there was some concern about sort of investing in, uh, and I don't know if this is that, so I'm being careful, but the whole hardware thing sort of has people a little skittish about devices that assist the heart. Uh, so it's great to see that Anchor raise $80 million. I guess there's, there's still some, some optimism out there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, their system, I mean, they're touting this as the only, they're touting it as the only completely transcatheter procedure for mm -hmm. treating an enlarged left ventricle. I mean, and, you know, kind of like an LVAD. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, you know, it's, it's a serious device here. I mean, you're hooking up a pump to somebody's heart and running lines out. So this of is less mechanical and, and more, I mean, yeah, this is like uh, a more little structural. More yeah, structural. this is more structural gotcha. than something you're delivering via via catheter. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, LVADs were were always a uh, you know serious business. Um, I, um, I I I still remember a conference at the University of Minnesota. You know, I, I was at a few years ago where they had uh, preserved hearts. They had these hearts that you know were um, they I think shot like some kind of plastic into them or whatever. But they were real human hearts that have been in people. You know, like and uh, they like a few of them had LVADs attached to them. And they're like, man, that just that would be cool to see. Wow. It, it really drove home like, wow, that's a that's a serious device there. That's a, something you're really hooking, 
hooking up to somebody. So, I mean, well, you know, so. That would be neat to see for sure. And that, that's great yeah. clarification on your part as to what Ankara yeah. Hart is doing. Exactly. Yeah, this is like, yeah. Let us, uh, let's go on to, to number four. Hey, number uh, number four on the list. We've got a a win for a Nevro. They uh, got FDA approved to uh, for their uh, you know Senza system to you know treat chronic pain that's associated with diabetic neuropathy. Oh, so mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a that's a big win. I mean, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, you know suffer from uh, diabetes, and you know this could you know, definitely be uh, you know like a, a new you know more widespread use for the Senza system. You know to you know, it's a spinal cord stimulation system that, uh, that you know, to treat pain. And, you know, this is a, a new indication from FDA to, you know, treat uh, painful diabetic neuropathy. That's fascinating. I'd love to explore yeah. that more. You wonder, I mean, how this differs from other pain, uh, pain relief stimulation devices in terms of placement. Do you, do you identify different parts of the spine where where you you apply the system to, to, to cut that pain down? Yeah, that would be really interesting to find out from Nevro. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to get yeah, them on sometime, but yeah. uh, well, great news. I mean, we talk about diabetes a lot, but more uh, management of, of insulin and glucose. Um, but there, of course, are people who are, who are ravaged with it and, and really need relief in other ways. So it's great that Nevro has this uh, has this to offer now. Absolutely. And, you know, and kind of another, another just overall trend this is part of is how, you know, we're really, you know, there, there's been a lot of movement toward using devices toward, you know, using a neurostem, you know, maybe it's something like Nevro, or this is something that's kind of like a pacemaker you're implanting in the body. Maybe it's something like that's uh, much more like, you know, wearable and non-invasive, but I mean, just trying to use more of this, you know, neurostem to treat, to treat pain versus, you know, people taking, uh, taking painkillers. And we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, you know, we, uh, just this week, this isn't on the list, but we had like, um, J and J and some other, uh, you know, major companies, uh, you know, settling with state AGs for billions of dollars over, um, you know, the op- opioid abuse crisis. And like, definitely, it seems like MedTech has something to offer to help, you know, people treat pain without getting hooked on uh, painkillers. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. All right, Chris Newmarker, bring us into number three on the Newmarker's Newsmakers list. Well, number uh, three on the list, this is uh, like a really cool uh, roundup from our uh, senior editor, Daniel Kirsch, and ran in full on medical design outsourcing. But uh, we have the um, the Galian Foundation. They just uh, announced their nominees for uh, most innovative medical devices for their 15th annual uh, Prixa Galleon USA Awards. And that always gives us like a really good opportunity to just like point out like, hey, what are the most innovative medical devices of this year? I mean, like what this foundation is announcing as their nominees is a good indication of like, okay, like what's, what's really uh, getting some buzz or some excitement. And uh, yeah, we've got a whole, you know, list of all kinds of, um, you know, different devices. Some of them you've, you know, covered here, you know, we've covered here on uh, Device Talks Weekly, uh, like, like, for example, the, um, you know, you've, you've talked to, uh, you know, CVRX in the past, you know, mm-hmm. like the, their Barristem, you know, Neos on the list. Um, they're one of the nominees. We've got, uh, you know, Edwards, uh, Sapien, Three Tavers on the list. Uh, you know, uh, you know, an interesting entry was we had, uh, you know, Boston Size, HeartLogic, Heart Failure Diagnostic that they packaged in with their, uh, you know, with their, uh, you know, cardio devices. That's, uh, you know, the, that's, um, you know, their heart failure diagnostic making, uh, you know, the list. Uh, so, so yeah, make, make a guess what's on the list and, you know, check out the, uh, check out the article. Awesome. Great work by, by Danielle. And yeah, that's a really, uh, important, uh, award. So it's nice to, uh, give, uh, give attention or, or, or give praise where it's due. And, uh, yeah. we should, we should note that the first two articles, number four and five were written by, uh, Sean Hooley. Yes, that's editor. right. Yep. 
associate editor Sean Hooley. Sean is a is a writing machine, and he's he just he just really keeps uh, keeps Mass Device humming. It's awesome. Absolutely. All right, Chris, bring us into number two on New Marcus Newsmakers list. You know, number two, you know, we're going back to, uh, you know, pain relief. Uh, you know, we got, uh, you know, Neurometrics has had a, a great week, um, you mm-hmm. know, to, to, to put it mildly. You know, they started out the week, uh, you know, below, uh, you know, $10, you know, and they're, you know, trading over 20 now, you know, so with their uh, with their share price. And they just had you know, some good, a lot of good news this week. I mean, they got a FDA breakthrough device designation to use their, uh, you know, Quell uh, device uh, to treat, uh, you know, fibromyalgia symptoms. So that can like, that'll like really, um, you know, kind of boost their application with, uh, with FDA over their, you know, like, because, you know, they can get priority review, they can get interactive communication with FDA. Um, it could be a really big, uh, big deal for them, um, you know, to, to actually uh, get, uh, you know, indication on Quell for fibromyalgia, because I mean, even just the CDC alone, like estimates that roughly, you know, 4 million Americans suffer, you know, from it. So, I mean, to have this indicated for that, you, you could use this to, you know, treat some of the pain would be um, a big thing for fibromyalgia stuff, suffers a big thing for neurometrics, you know, that they could, you know, market the Quell for that, uh, for that use. And then, you know, just, just right on the heels of that, they had their Q2 uh, earnings report, you know, where they were, uh, you know, things were, uh, you know, looking, uh, Good for them with that. I mean, um, you know, their uh, sales growth was like sixty-two point eight percent year over year for for the second quarter. So, so just um, you know, a lot a lot of good news for newer metrics this week. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Again, it, yeah, we talk about neuro a lot, but it's great to see this this field get its stride. It's been offering promise for so long. It's nice to see uh, see it really becoming a reality and, and helping people. So fantastic. Yeah, you know, and I mean, frankly, like stuff like tens devices. I mean, they've been around for a long time. But you know, in the past, it was like, oh my gosh, it's a box with wires with mm-hmm. pads. You know, and like you're seeing companies like Neurometrics where you got something like the Quell device, where I mean, they're just like really upping the game on you know using these things as like wearable. You know, it's much more sophisticated like a much more sophisticated use of uh of electrical stimulation to uh to treat pain you know so it's uh, it's it's really cool it's kind of feels like it's coming into its own like really you know going mainstream right now absolutely great point by you on that boy you are just full of insights today chris newmarker full of wisdom and insights <laughs> <laughs> Did a lot of thinking while flipping burgers back in the day a lot of a lot of deep thoughts that's right. <laughs> All right, Chris, bring us into number one on the new markers newsmakers list. Well, you know, not, you know, talking about Sean, um, you know, he uh, Sean did a really good, uh, solid interview with uh, Dexcom CEO Kevin Sayer. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, the story is getting like thousands of hits on both mass device and drug delivery businesses where it ran in full. But uh, you know, Sayer was like talking a lot about the G7, which is their uh, you know you know next generation uh, CGM that we're we're expecting out. They're they're still being like really quiet about how things are going with FDA and a U.S. launch. You know, we're hopefully gonna hear more next week during. Their uh, earnings call, but um, you know, Sarah was uh, you know telling Sean that you know they they expect a, a launch of the G7 later this year in uh, in Europe. So like where they're you know so that's uh, you know and they're also like doing a ton of ramping up uh, you know with manufacturing. I mean, he was uh, he was saying by the end of uh, you know 2013 they expect to have like the capacity to build like hundreds of millions of these things. Wow. Um, you know, and you know you just look at the comparison between. You know the two devices, I and mean, the G7 is uh, is just you know much. I mean, the G7 is about the size of a coin. It's about sixty percent smaller than G6. I mean, right there, that you know looks like a like a really big improvement, like a much less just you know this you know really 
you know, nice, tiny all-in-one sensor applicator and, you know, transmitter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just, uh, just, yeah, just a lot of buzz around this, this device. So it'll be exciting to find out more about it, but if you want to get an idea of what's up with the G7, you know, and what, what they've been working on with it, um, yeah, check out Sean's article. Fantastic. More good work by, by Sean Hooley. All right. Great new markers, newsmakers list, Chris. Carola Agla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Great to have you here. Great to talk to someone who who's, has a company based in Spain, as we talked a bit before off camera. My, my Part of my family hails from there. So uh, it's great to see the uh, the industry grow there because I can perhaps justify having a, a conference there someday or at least, uh, uh, at least uh, having a business visit. So uh, it'd be great to... Uh, do that someday, but uh, I'd love to learn about your path. Uh, did you did you grow up in, in in Spain? Are you from there? Yes, I did. I did. I was born in Madrid, ah. um, and I spent most of my time there with trips, occasional trips to the U.S. When I was fifteen, you know, parents in Spain always send you to the U.S. for summer camps and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then most of the time was in Spain, yes, and then U.S. and Switzerland. How did you find your way uh, into the med tech industry? What what drove you to uh, to this career? Yeah, I was always an explorer, always, uh, since very little. Um, I was always playing with chemistry games and always trying to, to solve things. And uh, the brain was one of the most amazing mysteries I was always chasing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know how to get there, but I started being a pharmacist. Then I realized drugs were good, you know, pharmacokinetics and all these things are interesting, but not enough. Mm-hmm. And um, just when I had to choose which first job I was going to go for, I discovered uh, medical technology and, and Medtronic and all this ecosystem. I was absolutely fascinating about it and really wanted to be part of it. That's fantastic. No, that's uh, that's an interesting point. That's I've always found the, the I've talked about this on this podcast many times, but just the neurostimulation aspect and then and and connecting devices to the neural system uh, just is magical in some ways. So I could I could certainly see being drawn to that. So what was your first uh, first job in medtech? Yeah, I, it was interesting because I had done a thesis on uh, neuroscience in the U.S. about oh. Parkinson's disease. But then back in Spain, there was not neuroscience jobs. And I first did some cosmetics experience, mm-hmm. which were great to understand the consumer side, because we often forget that side. And then I met someone that introduced me to Medtronic in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I asked, you know, and, and this is where she told me, well, there is actually a therapy called deep brain stimulation that is actually applied in Parkinson's disease, which is would you have a study? I studied the effect of pesticides in uh, neurodegeneration, so Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, and the relationship. And then I was fascinated about it. And uh, I entered as market development manager for the Spanish market. But very soon, and especially after having been in the U.S., I, I wanted to keep on moving, going to Asia or somewhere else. They told me, well, the European headquarters of Medtronic is in Switzerland. I was like, wow, um, that could work. <laughs> and this is where I ended up in different roles until uh, I got the European business director role for deep brain stimulation in parallel doing also some global commercialization for DBS. And you have a, your, your training is uh, we have a master's in neuroscience and neurotoxology from Virginia tech. So you were, you were on the neural, the neural path one way or the other, it seems. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, the brain is what makes us human. Mm -hmm. And when there is a disease, we disconnect from that humanity and finding therapies and especially uh, real time at the push of a button therapies that can reconnect us to humanity for me was the thing that will intrigue me the most. And I really wanted to understand how that work and how to make it better always. So what I was your spent 10 years there? <laughs> what was your time at Medtronic like? Let's talk about that a bit. We talked to their, uh, we have a separate podcast talking just about Medtronic. It's an interesting place. Uh, what was your experience there like? Wow, it's fantastic. Uh, it's been a dream uh, over a decade because it's a true school of leadership and ethics and patient engagement and innovation. And I have a long list of things that I could say about Medtronic and its people. Um, I saw some of your podcasts with Job Martha recently. I'm like, well, I actually uh, was leaving DBS to go to diabetes when bread came. And um, leaders like him, my leaders like others, like Rotten Hood, Hank Mertens, I have so many idols, mm-hmm. um, and also the ladies, and Ed Bruls, they're really, really important in my life because they became role models of leadership. And it's a place where you can truly innovate, right? I was given always carte blanche to go and propose solutions, to go and propose new business models. And I always felt trusted that I could pull that through. Uh, And we all make mistakes. I'm sure that I made them on the way, but (laughs) they were always also rewarded um, as a learning point to keep on doing better, right? So um, I will always have Medtronic in my heart forever. And, and it's been the best experience as to progress now where I am. I want to go into where you are because it's an interesting company, but uh, I did see a post you had recently on LinkedIn uh, about culture of a company and whether it mm-hmm. is derived from the leaders or from the, the employees. Uh, I wonder what sort of lessons Medtronic taught you in that regard. And, and what is your, what is your uh, 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 position on that? How, how do you, how are you building a culture at uh, at InBrain? This is very important. And it's still one of those question marks that I'm trying to solve for, for myself and for this company we are building and hopefully for the industry. I mean, business books, or at least the business books and the school uh, of business that I've attended, they said that the culture is built from the CEO mm-hmm. downward. But that for me is hard um, because at the end, culture is about trust and collaboration, and that uh, starts from the people. So for me, there is not a top and a bottom. And actually, I'm studying different books on holocracy and, and the TIL movement, where it's more about higher level of consciousness, where we can actually um, lead ourselves and have this distributed leadership and not depend on a leader so mm-hmm. so why me or any other ceo need to be smarter than the collective amount of people that it's on the company that is impossible right so um i wanted to start building a culture from the people hmm. and we have defined a framework about the eat the we and the eat uh, sorry the i the we and the eat hmm. right so starting from your values the values of the group and the values of the company so um i hire a person that is helping us on that and actually, there's like three or four coaches in the company as to also innovate the HR model or the people development model so we can get to those higher level of consciousness and leadership based on trust, 
without the uh, dependency or the constant dependency of decisions made at the top. So people are entrusted from all levels to take risk um, and be responsible and, and accountable for it. And this was a, a, a an approach you uh, sought or at least identified prior to uh, the pandemic, because it seems like it would be the perfect strategy for how we're all working now, working remotely, sort of working independently. Well, this is, I think, a personal development. I invested a lot on self-questioning me and mm-hmm. and many things in life and trying to find answers about it so so we can build better societies. So it's been an evolution. Um, and I question also some of these pyramidal models of corporations, right? Where, where you have all these uh, political controversies and these silos being created as a consequence of control and power. And, and I was looking for a way to absolutely get rid of that because I've seen also the damage that mm-hmm. it can create on an organization at mm-hmm. you know, different sizes. So now having the opportunity of rebuild this from scratch and experiment as well and maybe fail and maybe you know rebuild again, um, I really wanted to put a lot of emphasis on that as well. It's, it's, it's core to who we are here. And yes, as you said, you know, we found uh, in brain in, a, in the middle of the pandemia or at the beginning of the pandemia. So it was going to be a virtual model and we had to empower people to be responsible, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I could talk the whole, the whole interview about that, but let's, <laughs> let's understand a bit more about Embrain. So what led you to, uh, to start the company? You had already left Medtronic at that point, correct? Or did you leave Medtronic and go start Embrain directly? Oh, so it was an interesting story because I had been 10 years in the brain simulation. Mm-hmm. So I saw the incredible benefits of it, but also the areas of improvement and some of the struggles some companies had. I think I lived uh, the most dynamic sen- uh, decade, sorry, of DBS, at least, you know, of my time where many therapies being launched with competition coming after Medtronic being alone. So it was, it had been a very interesting decade, as I said. Uh, but on the other hand, they called me for a also incredible job on diabetes and virtual clinics and value-based healthcare models of payment per outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very attracted to that. And I spent three years there. You know, it became a Harvard Business School case. We had very interesting um, contracts being signed in different places. Um, but then it was also a controversial model because at the end, Medtronic with that model became a provider of care. And there was part of the company that was truly on favor of innovating and, and making healthcare more sustainable with this innovation. Mm-hmm. But there was others that also questioned the model. So I became um, very passionate about that. And, and Medtronic had doubts. Omar was leaving, or had left, was leaving, I think. It was the transition. Mm-hmm. And he was the, he was the let's say, the one that put value-based healthcare at the center and the core of the company in the latest years. Um, so I, I, I was a bit disappointed that probably the focus on that was not going to be that big. Mm-hmm. And I went to a BC to actually see if I could take the whole risk and make an equity carve out or do something with it. And of course, my European president was at that time not ready to take those decisions. And probably I was a bit crazy from my side to even even attempt to do that. But at the VC level, 
I met the people from Inbrain. And at that point, I was no longer um, on the DBS side because I had spent so much time. But then uh, these guys had prototypes that we took to customers of mine um, you know, to evaluate and to give me feedback about, and they were like, wow, this changes everything. You know, you, you have to do this. There's no way we are not making this happen. And, and this is how we actually decided to found InBrain uh, and start the journey. Interesting. Well, let, let's talk about InBrain. As I, as I said, prior to pushing record, I, I f- watch it from afar. I always thought InBrain was developing devices doing a little more exploration. It seems to be more of a materials company. You were about to explain what that was, and I asked you to save it for this interview. So let's get into that. What is InBrain's primary function? Yeah. It is the use of graphene. Mm -hmm. So this is indeed a new material to decoding brain and nerve signals into medical solutions in the same way that neuromodulation does, right? But... Um, we are making a modern version of neuromodulation, I will say. Hmm. Um, medical devices have been very innovative at that time, but now compared to the semiconductors and you know everything that is happening on the electronic side, so in, in, in any other areas of, um, of, of our ecosystem, you see that there, there are things that could be improved. However, with the materials that we're using, so platinum, iridium, silicon, it is very hard to integrate with modern electronics and to have you know, large amounts of data flowing into these devices and extract the, the most powerful information as to create the most powerful outcomes. So that's what we are doing. We are interfacing three industries, so deep tech, medtech and digital health Interesting. to actually overcome some of the barriers that we have seen on the medtech side. So and graphene is the enabler, yes. So what is the what are, what are the qualities or characteristics of graphene that make it right for this job? Yeah. So um, there were two researchers, Gain and Novoselov, that got the Nobel Prize in 2010 about the extraction of graphene. And then uh, due to these properties, so, so graphene is the thinnest material known to men. It's an atom thick. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah. So miniaturization, it's one of the uh, capabilities that we have with graphene. But then on top of that, it has 100 times more charge injection that can be pulled through the material at the very low impedance. So we can miniaturize, so we can create very high density and resolution interfaces. And the fact that we can inject more charge with low impedance also helps, and this is our uh, hypothesis, the management of, for instance, batteries, right? So mm-hmm. we need more efficient on battery management. Um, so with this, we, we can really do many different devices in the sense that, I mean, the, the platinum, iridium, silicon interfaces are quite manual on its build-up. And if you will look at the wafer of graphene, it's kind of printed electronics. And therefore you can, I mean, I, I believe, and this is our hypothesis, right? This is all being built as, as we speak. <laughs> um, the scalability of this material and its integration with these modern electronics, I think it's going to be uh, much more uh, agile, I would say. 
So do, do the will the devices if this if this bears out uh, that are made with the graphene or employing the graphene will they be different in, in design than what we're currently using for deep brain stimulation or neural stimulation or is graphene really the the lead or the the interface of existing models it's just a new way to sort of access the brain it is it is quite different and if I will send you some pictures Tom so you you see. How is it looking? Mm -hmm. um, we have a cortical, a deep interface. So all these devices, uh, all, the, all these interfaces, what they have in common is the high resolution and the high density. And in the case of the cortical, if I will show you, it's like a second skin. It's, it's transparent mm -hmm. and it's like cellophane. So it, it fixes completely to the surface of the brain. Um, so it really looks very different to what we know, which is the silicon hard, almost thick uh, grid with the big contacts of metal. Um, and I know thin film is coming to the industry um, as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, probably you can get an idea, but on top of the thin film technologies, this graphene contacts with these unique properties that make it interesting. Interesting. Well, you just said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a favorite word of mine is anyone who listens to the podcast. Oh, I love it too. Uh, so let's talk, you, you referenced the, uh, the deal. How, how did it come together? Yes, yes. So look, this, this happened all in very little time. As I said, we founded in Brain in December 2019. We got the first funding June 2020. Wow. And yeah, and this year we got Series A which was uh, close to $17 million uh, in, it was March. I, I don't know if I, yeah, I said it. And in that path within brain, we had a, I mean, one of our patents is about the potential development of these interfaces through a process that is the one that has been patented for both the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. And we had some experience already in sciatic nerves and in other nerves. Um, doing doing this kind of calf electrodes a year ago actually when we were actually founding in brain and we started getting into some conversations and look i am i am a bit new in in dealing with a startups on manufacturing but um, i've seen a lot of people being scared of partnering early on time um, but in this case we found such a good connection. So the people was incredible. The framework that was given to us to collaborate and the conditions were extremely fair. Um, and we thought that this could give us a chance to explore the peripheral nervous system without deviating from our core goal on the central nervous system, mm -hmm. right? So in order to enable that partnership, we said, okay, let's keep the focus on in-brain. We also raised the money and we we have an accountability here for the return of that money into you know benefits and outcomes for patients but on the other hand since this is so um such a good collaboration we could create this subsidiary is what we call in nervia bioelectronics and also put a small team focus on that collaboration without affecting the development and the and the progress of in-brain so this is how we did it we created this vehicle called Nervia Bioelectronics, mm -hmm. and it's through this vehicle that we, has we have enabled this collaboration. 
And what will the uh, the collaboration look like? Are you providing materials and they'll do the product development? Are you collaborating on, on the product development or are you doing most of the product development? What does it look like? Yeah, no, no, we are doing the product development. Um, so we are developing, we are together on the design and the testing um, of, of what we want collectively, but we are developing the interfaces and hopefully also the system. They are setting all the clinical part of the clinical studies, the clinical, sorry, first, and then mm-hmm. hopefully clinical if all the results are good. And, and this is how we are collaborating. And of course, together, we are going to look at the at the algorithm, the data piece, right? Because this is common to both companies. So we are strong on the data processing and all the algorithm uh, development. And they also, of course, as the biology uh, leaders, you know, want to be and, and give input on that. So, yeah, it's it's a co-development from very early on rodents to humans. And, and how excited are you to be working with a, a pharma company in, in this space? I mean, it, it, bioelectronics is just a, is a really hopeful and exciting space in, in medtech. And I think it's a perfect opportunity for pharma and medtech to kind of work together going forward. This is as you see, uh, what excites me is the combination of industries because it's where innovation mm-hmm. really happens. I think medtech was really in its niche for such a long time that even if it was, as I said, very innovative, needed to evolve. And in this, I mean, I was very excited already when I saw Galvani Bioelectronics mm-hmm. being founded in, right. in that unique way. Yep. Yeah, and I and I always wondered. Can we have more models like that? Because you know, more heads together doing these things at that scale uh, would be very interesting. So, yeah, I am very excited about the partnership. It's it's really good. And US is always, let's say, the leader on neurotech. But seeing Europe now united, uniting forces into this is also very invigorating. Sure, honestly. So it's it's a double mission. And it'll, it'll help me set up my, my device talks conference in Europe in a couple of years, I hope. Let's, let's yes, keep, keep building forward. Come. <laughs> um, we'll cook together. We'll cook together something in Spanish, Tom. Absolutely. A final question. I mean, I, I just want to circle back to, uh, to the culture. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is a, a big move for, for InBrain. You're working with a larger corporate partner. I'm sure there'll be more of these to come. Uh, how do you ensure that the culture that you'd like to see in your company sort of doesn't change as you're as you are influenced by all these outside forces because as i said at the beginning we are building it together and we're changing many things i've seen many people trying to get back to the model we had now that the pandemia in some cases is is kind of getting better people or, or, or some people um, come back to apply the old models, mm-hmm. right? So let's go back to face time. Let's go back to uh, yeah, everything that we were doing before, you know, to the heavy traveling. And I think we have to learn something about this, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, in InBrain, we don't bring everybody to Barcelona. That wouldn't make sense. We now go where the talent is, wherever they are. And we have people in the US, we have people in Netherlands, we have people in France, we have people in Israel. So we just go where they are. And we know that digital is going to be our daily daily life. Mm-hmm. So we better get used to new tools to collaborate differently and not get constrained and structured by our old models. I always 
I always say that innovate is about de-learning, right? You have <laughs> to de-learn us to learn again and recreate new things because otherwise we get a stack on pastimes, no? Yep. So yeah, we are we are changing many things and we are doing this with the people. Um, and we have we, are, we use Agile, so it's a methodology for continuous improvement, mm -hmm. where we have constant retrospectives, right? So every week there's retrospectives about the programs, which mean reflection, you know, time is scheduled for reflection about what worked, what didn't work, and we have, what we have to stop to get better, right? So it's, it's like a self-awareness, uh, not only personal, but also of the team and where are we going with what we are doing. Oh, that's so true. And I think, and you're right, the, the pandemic uh, forced a lot of us to to do a lot of that, to kind of sit and say, wait a second, you know, is this really the right way to do this? And do I want to go back to doing it that way? So uh, exciting stuff. I, I could talk more and more about culture and tech, especially in the neurospace, but uh, I'll let you go. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us in the podcast. Thank you, Tom. And I wait for you in Spain to get some <laughs> nice pinchos and tapas. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you, Carolyn. All right, Chris Newmarker, we've done it again. We've wrapped up another episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Now is the time we do what? Do the social media, like, follow, subscribe. <laughs> Where can we can find you on social media, Chris? I am on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. You can uh, find me on Twitter, too, at Newmarker. So great. And always I'm happy to chat. He is always happy to chat. He's a very social, very social man. And uh, I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. If you, uh, would you do us the favor of sharing this podcast on social media channels and please connect to both Chris and I when you do so we can be part of those conversations. And we would also very much like you to subscribe, as Chris noted, to this podcast. We are on every major podcast channel, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. So uh, just subscribe and, and future episodes will be sent directly to you. You can also find our other podcast there, Medtronic Talks. We are uh, intent upon sending you the best darn medtech audio you, you can hit listen to. So uh, That's right. just make it easy on yourself. Just subscribe already. So, all right. Yeah. That is a wrap. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. Stay safe. If you know someone who isn't vaccinated, tell them to get the shot, darn it. <laughs> well said.